And now, ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming the woman who won more than 65,800,000 votes in the last election, Hillary Rodham Clinton. What starts here changes the world. Well, I've got to admit, I kind of like it. What starts here changes the world. We are the music makers, and we are the dreamers of dreams. The average American will meet 10,000 people in their lifetime. I was handcuffed to another man from another tribe whose language I did not speak. Don't think. But if every one of you changed the lives of just 10 people, and each one of those people changed the lives of another 10 people, and another 10, we did not know each other. And we could not speak to each other because if we could have spoken to each other, we might have been able to figure out what was happening to us. To every politician who is taking donations from the NRA. It is because America has not invested in its people. Shame on you. And you can change the entire population of the world, 8 billion people. And if we could have figured out what was happening to us, we might have been able to prevent it. If you think it's hard to change the lives of 10 people, change their lives forever. Well, that didn't happen. Here we are. You're wrong. Are you better off than you were four years ago? Fellow Americans, it's time, it's time to, to speak out. out. They're looking for help. They're looking for help. They're not looking for more of the same. When people lose their jobs, there's a good chance I'll know them by their names. When a factory closes, I know the people who ran it. When the businesses go bankrupt, I know them. We won't be We will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, yes we, we can. can. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. And when we get enough money, honey, we'll bring you down. children were saved, and their children's children. Generations were saved by one decision, one person. But changing the world can happen anywhere, and anyone can do it. So what starts here can indeed change the world. But the question is, what will the world look like after you change it? Welcome to Public, to public Access, Access America. America. Make a stand. I know I did. Thank you very much. Thank you for that. But tonight, we're going to try to keep it a, a bit more personal, um, if that's OK. And I want to start really with how this book even came about. And I'm going to remind you, you may not remember this, but you and I had a conversation way back in the winter, early winter. And you mentioned to me that you were thinking of writing a book about the election. And then we had several more conversations about this over the next weeks and months. And each time, I said to her emphatically, you are nuts. That is a crazy idea. Why would you do that? It's way too soon. You're still processing everything. We're all still processing everything. I don't know about the rest of you, and I don't know about you, but everybody I know was experiencing weird things like insomnia and anxiety, <laughs> gastrointestinal disorders. In fact, a friend of mine who's a doctor in Washington said it's an election-related syndrome known as Trumpuria. Um, okay, so we're all going through all this, right? And so I just didn't see how you could possibly, in such a short space of time and so soon after this election, process all of it for yourself. And of course, you're the central act actor in it. Um, so I advised you consistently not to write it. And of course, thankfully, she didn't listen to me. Um, so that was very wise on your part. And now here we are with this, uh, with this wonderful book. And I just am wondering, though, how did you process it so quickly? And apparently, this did not involve any therapy along the way. Uh. 
Well, that's a sign of something. Um, <laughs> well, well, actually, it was my therapy, to be really clear. Um, Lissa has been a friend of mine and a colleague of mine for a long time now and is a terrific writer, was a great reporter when she uh, worked for The Post and other publications. So I take what she says very seriously when it comes to writing. And she did come to see me, like a number of my friends who rallied around, uh, came to um, you know, support me, just listen to me vent, uh, share their concerns and worries. And I, I had, after the election, as you can read in the book, uh, pretty much uh, nothing I wanted to say to anybody. I was so devastated, and it was incredibly painful. Um, and it took weeks of just getting up every day, cleaning closets, going for walks in the woods, all the things that I did uh, to begin to clear my head. Uh, but, of course, other people were commenting and writing about the election, and I just didn't think there was a broad enough view, really a comprehensive understanding, of what it looked like to me in real time and what I believed happened, but I wasn't sure, and I knew it would take a lot of... Um, analysis and evidence gathering and you know I do kind of believe in facts and um, <laughs> shocking <clears throat> uh, so you know I just began to talk and listen to people gather information uh, and uh, I think that it hit me really around the inauguration, people had talked to me about, well, what are you going to do? And, you know, will you write something else? And I was still just trying to muddle through. It really hit me that there were these very important issues that needed to be discussed, debated even, uh, that our democracy and country relied upon that kind of uh, self-examination. And I thought, well... I need to know what happened, and I need to be as honest, candid, open as I possibly can in order to figure it out for myself, and maybe doing it in a book would provide the discipline, the deadline to try to think it through. And so really starting in February, I dove in uh, and um, I just decided I was going to write it, and it was painful. I, I say in the book that, you know, I'd write about something and I'd have to go lie down uh, because it was just so hard to think about the mistakes I made, the, uh, you know, missed opportunities, uh, but then also to come to grips with these other big forces at work uh, that uh, I think had a, a determinative uh, uh, impact on the outcome. So it ended up being really cathartic for me personally. And from what people are telling me as I've begun to start doing book signings and, and talking about the book, I think it does provide some catharsis and some opportunity for reflection for a lot of other people too. And I'm very happy about that because there are some really important issues we have to come to grips with. And I wrote it not just to say what happened, but 
what we need to do to make sure what happened doesn't happen again. And that's what I'm going to spend a lot of time on. Amen. Um, just to follow up for a second on this, how hard it is. I mean, you, as I said, you're the central actor and you're writing about yourself and it obviously was a, you know, a mind-boggling experience. You and I um, share a favorite author in, in Cheryl Strayed. I don't know uh, how many of you have read Wild or seen the movie. And you have a quote from her in the book, actually. But, um, and I think I may have mentioned to you this once. She once said to me, um, I asked her, how do you write about these things that are so deeply personal? And she said, I write to get to a deeper truth. If I'm not going to be honest with myself, why do I bother to write? But getting to that deeper truth, as you've experienced, is hurtful, overwhelming, painful, could be sad. And you have to deal with things that are intensely private. So I'm just wondering, did you censor yourself at all? Were there times when words or thoughts just, it was just too much and you couldn't go there? Or what did you do to try to get to that next level? Well, I, I ended up not censoring my thoughts, not censoring what I put into the book. I will admit I censored some of the original language I used. <laughs> oh, shucks. You should have left that. You know, uh, yes, yeah, some of those early venting sessions... Uh, I had a great team of people who vented with me and uh, did research for me and helped, uh, you know, me better explain what I was venting about. Uh, but I didn't hold back at all on uh, what I saw as, you know, my own um, shortcomings and my deep disappointment, not just for me, obviously, but for the country. Um, so it was not censored. It was really candid, um, and it was something that uh, did help me get to some deeper and bigger truths about me, about our country, about some of the really difficult um, forces that we have to face, the, the concerns I have about, I'm sure we'll get into this, you know, everything from sexism and misogyny and race and uh, the Russians and, uh, you know, this voter suppression. I mean, there's a lot there that I was learning as I was writing. Mm -hmm. uh, because when you're in the middle of a campaign, and I know there are people here who have been involved in campaigns, and for that I thank you. When you're in the middle of it, you are so focused on the immediate tasks. I mean, you know what the overall goal is, obviously, to win, and you've got your strategies and your tactics lined up. But boy, every day is, you know... 18 hours of just the hardest concentration and work trying to move it forward, it's hard to lift your head up. And sometimes it's hard to really understand everything that's happening at the same time. So being able to step back a little, go through it, take it apart, look at it, analyze it, and then write about it helped me a lot. Did you, did you learn anything about yourself that you didn't know? You know, I really believed that, um, and, and it was, I think in retrospect, it was um, a misconception, or it was certainly out of uh, sync with the time in which we're living and the candidate I ended up running against, because, you know, I did have this idea based on my prior experiences in presidential campaigns, really going way back into the late 60s and 70s, that it mattered greatly if you could uh, 
make clear what you wanted to achieve. You know, it didn't have to have all the details, but that it was important to tell people what you wanted to do because then when you were in office, they could judge you um, on whether or not you were fulfilling that commitment you made. So we spent a lot of time uh, making sure that everything I said about policy and how we'd pay for things and all of that was uh, just bulletproof because I kept thinking at some point it's really going to matter. And for all sorts of reasons, it didn't. And so I think I stayed way too focused on a path that was not the direction that the campaign was heading because of the pressures from outside forces, because of the reality TV candidate I was running against. I think that I was not as adept or as quick to try to figure out, okay, what is a better way for me to try to communicate this? So, you know, these are things that you do the best you can, and you think you're running one kind of campaign, and you realize that the press is not covering the policy you're putting out every day. Um, they're covering an empty podium. And I kept thinking, well, we're still going to break through because people really do care what kind of jobs and infrastructure and health care and other things you want to do for them and their families and their incomes. But there was a disconnect. And so I learned that I just wasn't, I, I wasn't as, uh, um, I think, quick to try to make some adjustments uh, along those lines. You, but you also, you also say in the book that you <clears throat> developed a new appreciation for big, simple ideas. I think that's part of what you're getting at, isn't it? Well, there's a difference. I mean, the, the big, simple ideas, um, I, I still believed, you know, that uh, a big, uh, simple idea, like we're going to raise taxes on the wealthy, that's a big, simple idea. And I did have that idea very much centered in my... <laughs> campaign, but <clears throat> there's also, I think, an, uh, an important debate about in politics today when we have um, a really intense, quick movement of news, and it's a very short attention span, and social media plays a bigger and bigger part, um, you, you know, trying to, trying to, trying to develop uh, a relationship with voters or to engender confidence in voters that you know what you're talking about and you're going to deliver because you do understand the complexities may not be as significant as just repeating those big ideas um, over and over again and leaving the details uh, for later. Who knows, though, by 2020, maybe people will want to know details again <laughs> and policy again. So you never know. Well, and to be clear, she's not saying big, simple ideas without details, just not outlining every single detail, you know, ahead of time necessarily, which I just, I just, I thought that was uh, a pretty interesting observation. Um, uh, just one other quick thing about what it feels like, because you're, you're so revealing in the book about what it feels like to be a presidential candidate. And of course, you've got constant incoming right? Good, bad, medium. You're trying to assess all sorts of information from all sorts of people all the time. And I, it, was, it was interesting to me in the book that you say in a number of places that there were times when you wish you had struck back, when you'd been criticized or challenged by, by Bernie on Wall Street and other things, by uh, Matt Lauer in that really 
awful interview um, by Comey. And then, of course, we had the Jaws imitation by Trump on the debate stage. Um, you know, uh, so um, in each of those, it sounds like you're, oh, I just want to say also, by the way, even though you didn't say it, do you know how much it warmed the hearts of tens of millions of Americans to know that you thought about saying, back up, you creep? That's great. But, but in those situations, it, it was really, honestly, it was just such a relief to know you were even thinking about it. But in those situations, you weren't able to do that. Um, and you felt yourself constrained. You say you felt like you were in a straitjacket at times. What is it that makes it so hard to be able to do that in those situations. And I'm sure it has something to do with being a woman, but I'll let you answer that. Well, I think it does have a lot to do with being a woman um, because uh, it's very hard to uh, be perceived as strong as opposed to aggressive or any other word you can think of. And so part of the challenge is how you modulate, how you present yourself in a, uh, a mature, uh, appropriate way as a woman seeking a job no other woman has ever had. And I write a whole chapter on being a woman in politics, but much of what I say goes for being a woman in business, being a woman in any profession. Uh, it's not just politics. And I think, as I tried to describe my thought process up on that stage in the second debate, uh, it was hard. We had practiced what I would do if he invaded my space because we kind of assumed he would because he had his own issues that he was trying to, you know, push through um, at that time. And <clears throat> so we knew it. But once you're there and it's actually happening to you in real time in front of, you know, I don't know, 60 million people or something... Uh, you are discomforted, you are annoyed, you are a little frustrated uh, that he is stalking you and staring at you. And so I was going back and forth. But I had believed that it's better not to show that kind of reaction uh, in the middle of a presidential debate. And as you might think back, Funny gestures, facial expressions, heavy sighs, things really do affect viewers. And I just ended up believing that in addition to the gender-linked aspect of this, there was a history of people in presidential debates who had deviated in a way to show frustration, anger, dismissiveness, whatever their feelings were and paid a heavy price for it and I thought whatever price they paid I would pay double or triple to those who would tear the world down we will defeat you this is our moment this is our time to those who seek peace and security we support you yes we can and to all those who have wondered if America's beacon still burns as bright tonight we prove once more that the true strength of our nation comes not from the might of our arms or the scale of our wealth, but from the enduring power of our ideals, democracy, liberty, opportunity, and unyielding hope. Let me tell you something you already know. 
The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, you and nobody, nobody gonna hit as hard as fight. Ask not. Yes, we can. What your country can do for you. To tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. It's a depression. In this lifetime, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. But it ain't about how hard you get. It's about how hard you get and keep moving forward. How much you take it and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Yes, we can. I wanted to run out of that tunnel for my dad. To prove to everyone what? Public Access America. Yes, we can. On SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and now Facebook. Public Access, Public America. Access America. History in the history making. In the making. 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 History in history the making. In the making. Looking for your next favorite podcast? Stop searching and let Potable do the work for you. Potable is the only podcast listening platform that uses artificial intelligence to recommend podcasts tailored to you. Import your favorites automatically and instantly discover countless options. Download the app in the iOS App Store or visit potable.co to access a world of discovery. Yep, that's potable. P-O-D-I-B-L-E. That's some good app. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.